That's actually true, honestly. It's like I, we, we want to do a good enough job that you stick around long enough to, to find be, all the holes. To find all the flaws. Upset. Yeah. yeah. And that's 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 the dream. <laughs> Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 248 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm the string flinger. And I'm Sam and I'm the artist. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is February 2021. Yeah. It's a day before the leap day. Oh dang, it's a leap year, isn't it's it? It's a leap. <gasps> oh, the leap year, and it falls on a Saturday? That's beautiful. It's like a free day. It's a free, yeah. It'll except, never happen to Except it's a Saturday, so. So it's not that. So it was already, <laughs> yeah. it was already a free day from everybody. Uh, also, before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be uh, profanity on this show. And that's just how that goes. Yep. So just know that that's coming. We'd also like to thank our recurring supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net for giving us money. Thank you. So we can have it. It's thank nice. you very much. Let's talk about life. Sam has a story. It is, I'm going to warn you, revolting. Chris. Okay. So. Kick off this podcast right. Just right. Just going to go right into it. So weeks ago, I went to Dice. Yes. Okay. And the day before Dice, I did the usual, you know, grooming. Got my beard trimmed up, fingernails trimmed. Just I don't looking, like where this story's going already. Either. Looking trim. Okay. Okay. Now I go to Dice. And uh, first day, you know, get there. Everything's going well. It's cool. Second day, wake up. Get a strange cryptic text from my wife who says, Did you trim your toenails? Or did you trim yeah, did you trim your fingernails before I did ice? And I was like, Yes, of course. What she a strange was, question. What a strange why would you text me this wife while I'm away on business? <laughs> <laughs> and she says she says, I woke up this morning, I took out my retainer. Oh no. <laughs> It found one of your nails. Did you boomerang a fingernail across the room? In my retainer. <laughs> to a retainer. To which I had many more questions because I was uh, like, How did you not How did you this? not notice? That? Yeah. You put that in your mouth and slept with it in your mouth for eight hours. There are a lot of questions in this story. I, I don't know the answers to <laughs> Did you not brush your retainer before putting it in your mouth? I'm disgusted. Did you not notice? A nail of size <laughs> poking you in the mouth. Mm-hmm. As you, what? How did this happen? Also, are you dead now? Or do you have the plague? What's happened yeah, to you? Too are many you things have gone wrong in this story. It now, was to explain any of it. The most shocking way to wake up and get started in a business context. I was like, Bleh! and then just kind of had to carry on. But um, I totally forgot about it. My wife reminded me of it yesterday, and so I wanted to make sure that the story has been known. I hate that though. When you trim your nails, and they and just it, fire. They just, it, like you hear it, you know it, and you feel it. It's like you know, hear the little click, and it's where it's is gone. It? Yeah. It's just gone. I always do it by the sink, and I like try to get my hand like kind of in there because it's a bowl. Yeah, it's so you get like a. Like a 180-degree sphere of coverage. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But the top coverage you don't get. Sometimes they're just gone. Yeah. You know those little uh, those, those cones that you put on pets to keep from looking at themselves? You just need little finger cones. Ooh. You know, so you're just like pop it on there, trim your nail. Just I think like, you could probably use a pet cone to put on your wrist. You know? That's true, too, yeah. But then you wouldn't be able to see your damn hand. <laughs> you know how in- yeah, you uh, have to leave, like look in there, then they'd be going in your eyeball. Exactly in biology right. labs, they have those weird glove hands that you like stick into a- 
like a, a chamber, yeah. you know? That's what you need, but you with need, the fingers cut off. Yeah, you need a fingerless glove hand with like a like a plastic box, and you yeah. can stick one hand in, so we're gonna and then the other hand you stick in with nail clip. The yeah. whole thing on the outside <laughs> is actually, is, then there's vacuum being applied mm-hmm. everywhere, so that it's, no matter where it goes, it gets sucked into a vacuum Yeah, tube. so this thing is a sphere, okay, and it has holes on, on opposing sides. Yes. Okay? And, and just got, a pair of clippers just There's in a there. pair of clippers in there, and you stick <laughs> You stick one fingerless glove hand in, and the other hand can be fully gloved, just to make yeah, sure a finger doesn't yeah. touch your get stuck I mean, to yeah, your hand. They're you, disgusting. Yeah, and then yeah, then you just clip it in, and boom! <laughs> yeah. Somebody invent this shit now. We can't have it anymore. <laughs> this is the only safe way. To sleeping with fingernails in their retainers. This is a crisis. It is, yeah. and it always has been. Mm-hmm. People in the future will be like, they're going to look back. Whoa, whoa! You guys don't have fingerless cl- clip. Clipper, they're gonna have a vacuum. All things that were happening in 2020 and be like, be like, this was a hell on earth. Yeah, which hell, is I can't believe you guys didn't fingernails have everywhere. <laughs> for starters, that was, no, that was the only thing. That's the only thing. The only thing that was wrong. The only thing going wrong in the world right now. Yep, is this one yep, 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 yep. disgusting problem. <laughs> uh, Sam, you also wanted to talk about love is blind. Yeah, this is less disgusting. More. <laughs> We're just going to hit you the feels. So there's a show on Netflix called you Love Is Blind. set a high bar for disgustingness. So I did, yeah. Those kinda, things we talk about will be below hoping, that I hope so. Bar. I hope we're on that train for more than five minutes, to be honest. <laughs> so Love Is Blind's new Netflix show. So it's I think it's no secret at this point. My wife and I watch either rom-coms or romance reality TV together. Those are the only things that we have a, a somewhat joint interest in, okay, when it comes to television. You have a romantic entertainment relationship. Yes. And so action movies, nah. Not so much. You watch one every so often, which is nice, but uh, not so, not exactly her thing. Uh, Game of Thrones was a good sort of middle ground because there was enough murder, but a good enough plot and some love happening that somehow it worked. At out. first, at first, yeah, yeah, right. We'll talk about it. <laughs> we'll talk about season eight. Um, <laughs> so, Love Is Blind is this new Netflix show that we stumbled on, and apparently, it's like that. I think it's the number one show on Netflix now. And basically, the way it works is it's very fun. They do an experiment, quote unquote, where. It's like 15. Is this with real people? Real people. Uh, okay, so this is a reality show. It's a reality show. Uh. So 15 ladies, 15 men go into this like place. So it's very heteronormative. Yes. Nice. Um, and then they are, there's these pods, okay? And they basically they meet everybody in the pods. And what the pods are, it's just two rooms that are attached by a wall that you cannot see through. Mm-hmm. So in other words, they literally can't see each other. And they just stay in there for like 10 to 12 days. And at the end of it, they if they find someone that they want to propose to, they literally propose to someone without seeing them. Wait, so they so they, they just hang out with each other. They just chat. For 10 to 12 days. Yep. Just shoot the shit. And the idea is that you – so what happens if they don't propose? Do they, are they, they not allowed leave. to ever see that human being ever again? I don't know. I mean they probably do whatever they, they want. They just walk out of the pod and keep yeah, walking. They just leave. Yeah. The other way. Never look what back. I would do. Is I would watch this show, mm-hmm. find out, like if I was interested in that person, and be like, 12 days is not enough time for me to decide if I want to marry somebody. Mm-hmm. So then I'd be like, I like you. You're cool. Uh, maybe I'll watch the show so I can find out who you are. Mm-hmm. And then we can we'll meet up each later. other back yeah. up. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, so this has been a proper like couple of years. Like, this is the only like fundamental flaw with it is they say that the main experiment they're testing is is this idea of is love blind. The problem is that the, the reality of what they're testing is a combination of is love blind and are people comfortable getting married in like 40 days. Because that's actually what happens, right? Yeah. So you're, you, the wedding is planned for 37 days. Do they get to talk to you. any other people? So you talk – during the first like 10 days, you're yeah. chatting just with the people who are in the, 
experiment, right? It's okay. everyone's kind of win- winnowing it down to their last, you know, couple people, and then they someone proposes, and then they meet each other for the first time face to face, and then the couples who get coupled up, there's ends up being like five of them, go on a, a they go on a trip, so they literally just go mm-hmm. to like Cancun, hang out for like five more days, but actually seeing each other, and then they get thrown right back into real life because they're all from the same city, they're all from Atlanta, yeah. which is awesome, and so. Basically, it ends up sort of running into, you know, like, how do you bring your friend? What are your friends going to say when they see this person who you just, like, they've never met? They've never met. Last time they saw you, two weeks ago, (laughs) getting sandwiches, like you were single, you know? Um, It's the whole. to a pod person. Exactly, a pod person. And it's it's, it's the whole thing is fascinating. People think. Uh, Absolutely fascinating. And so if you're into that sort of, like, you know, just watching people be people in strange scenarios. I want to see I, more I, I shows like recommend. this. Like maybe one is called like right in the feels where you just feel the person's back and then decide, <laughs> <laughs> do I want to marry this person? Mm. Or maybe like the nose knows and you just, you just like, smell their you look at clothes, you just see their nose. There have been weird studies <laughs> on, on smelling people. Have you seen oh, these? Yeah, you smell. I have. You do. I have seen your dubious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, then I won't talk about it. But you can, <laughs> I mean, you can talk about, about it if you want to. But people, I mean, people have claimed all kinds of stuff about like somebody can smell this one person and know. Yes, that, you know, it's the, whatever. Supposedly, there's an ability to, or so, there's something about attraction on a smelling basis. But what they, I think, what they were correlating it with was actually how far away your genetic material is, or something weird. Or almost what you're yeah. smelling is the ability to I don't, cross all I know is that I'm, problems. I'm pretty close genetically to a banana. So and those I like really how those, why they smell so good. Yeah, <laughs> delicious. Know, maybe that's what that is. But you're much further from a banana than you are another human being. You know what I'm saying? Probably. Yeah. Emotionally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So my, and my final proposal for this for another show is yeah. maybe one called Leg Day, where everybody mm. does as many squats as they can, and whoever you're the closest to in number, you're going to marry that person. Number of squats. I yeah. like it. What about uh, what about hardness of leg? It's like if it you have like a little punching machine that punches your leg to see <laughs> how hard it is, you know? Yeah. And then whoever's the most similar in in, mm. in punch hardness of like thigh getting punched in the leg, yeah. Mm. Then that's like yeah, that's your soulmate. Do you ever, do you guys ever just like hit yourself in the leg? Yep. Is that like a weird thing? Uh, As no. You just like. This, you know, yeah, just, just punch, punch I, my slap, thigh. I yeah. slap myself on top of the head because it's shaved and it sounds okay, awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. we could agree that apparently just slapping yourself or hitting yourself oh, is yeah. just a thing. Oh, yeah, that best. you do. Okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> regardless of location, yeah. Yeah. thing. I like yeah. punching the leg meat because it's it's big and flat, and then it doesn't actually <laughs> you punch it flat, it makes a good noise, it makes a good noise. Yeah. It doesn't it's actually like hurt, it's just a weird like thing. Yeah, you're not like aggressively punching it. You're just getting the percussion. You just need something to you do. Just need I, a, you just need a fat beat. Yeah, I just need you something know? to do. I just, I just got nothing I just going got on. Nothing going. I just want to punch my own leg. No hobbies. It's a cheap <laughs> It's a cheap hobby, punching <laughs> yourself in the leg. Uh, let's talk about studio news. We put out a patch. We did. It's been, it had been three weeks. It's been three weeks. We put out a patch on this uh, past Wednesday. Witness day. Uh, and it was great. Tons of improvements. We fixed all kinds of stuff. We got rebindable keys. We got colorblind mm. assistance mode. GR18 does flips while sprinting. You can change your GR18's face. You can change your GR18's face. Watch out. Feature There's of the century. Whole new login flow going on there. Uh, lots of other fixes and stuff. It was just a, it was a good all around, like shoring up some polish points and stuff. Yeah. Um, so next up, we're working on the tutorial. Yep. And we're doing a thing called paper prototyping mm-hmm. to save ourselves a lot of time. 
So you may have heard of this because it's a common design practice, or at least should be. Uh, Which because, caveat is it doesn't need to be paper. It just often has paper correct. involved. It could literally be vocal. It's just basically the point is don't build the thing with code yet. That's actually what it is. Right. Or, you know, or whatever the expensive equi- equivalent. Yes. So don't, don't build a functioning physical prototype of a car or correct. whatever. Yeah. Because you don't even know. And that's just the general point. You just don't even know what you need to build yet. So build it out of the cheapest materials possible that still allow you to test it. Uh, so that you can do all the iterations super fast and cheap and then know what the hell you're actually building and hopefully do those final little feedback iterations just on the final product. So in our case, uh, with the tutorial, you know, we've, we did some, some digging around in the stats of Levelhead just to see like, okay, we've, we've always wanted people to go to the workshop. The game is ostensibly sold based on the idea of the workshop, right? It's a building. It's about it's building about and sharing building, levels. Sharing levels. Uh, but a shocking percentage of the user base literally has never published a level. Well, yeah, what we found was that in the first hour of gameplay, a quarter of logged in players. Yes. So basically only two-thirds of people are even logging in, period. period. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which means that the that other third, they're never they're never seeing other people's levels or anything like that. Yes. So we're already starting with a problem, which we believe we have addressed in this most recent batch. But uh so low rate low-ish rate of login. And then a quarter of those people ever go into the workshop or I guess go to the workshop after the first hour Mm -hmm. or play another person's level. Yeah. So three quarters of people are essentially like we drop them in the campaign and then they just stay there. Yeah, they just just stay there oftentimes for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, Days and days and days. And not in terms of playtime. So so until like what? After 16 hours of gameplay – Half of people, half have, of people have ever been into the workshop. Have, well, yeah, have, have basically built a work, built a level enough to save it, which, which is literally is the first thing that. Right. Yes. So which means like they've how only only half of people have even created a level in the workshop, yes. let alone build one. So there's a lot of numbers, but I guess the short of it is that that once that people have to play a lot of the campaign, presumably, before then up to half of all of those people who have been playing Correct. much of the campaign. Finally, go and actually well, yeah, make they, a level. So, yeah. so people are not coming to the game, and then because they unlock the workshop in about three minutes. Yes, right? yeah. So they're not coming to the game, unlocking the workshop, and, and thinking, then going into it. Ooh, I should go like make a level. Instead, they're playing for another something like sixteen hours. Sixteen hours right? before half of them build a level. Yeah, before they finally like, oh yeah, that thing that I unlocked sixteen hours ago. Maybe yes. I should go. And of course, the the player population is is shrinking over those first sixteen hours because if you don't get people in with the hook of the game, then mm-hmm. they will wander off after. Yeah, because the community right? involvement is the one that is the part that wants makes you want to come back. Yes, and so the idea was okay. So we are not actually doing a very good job. We're doing a good job teaching the mechanics of the game of teaching the platforming. and uh, even of actually people going and playing other people's levels. That, that rate is very high. Um, but the workshop has remained because of its complexity as an editor, a thing that people go look at and then go away from um, or even don't even look at because it involves creativity and it involves blank canvas. And basically all the problems that you have with just doing creative work generally is literally just what happens in the workshop. Yeah, And there's a lot of buttons. There's a lot of tools. There's hundreds of items in there. Like there's mm-hmm. just a lot. It's just a lot. Properties so, window with 10 options to tweak the item. And, yep. And so the quest yeah. was can we – uh, using the combination of the presentations that we have in-game uh, and then a new tutorial system actually make it the case that a new player experiences the workshop, uh, experiences it fully or almost fully in a way that doesn't completely overwhelm them and actually makes them surprised that they were able to make something that is even of remotely good quality. Um, and then what happens if we do that is basically the question. 
and then build more on that. And so essentially what I did over the past week was mapped out essentially a tutorial flow uh, and then – Which is intended to just get people into the workshop building levels yes. and publishing them. And so essentially what it was is, is once you beat that third or beat the second level in, in the campaign, you see the, the workshop presentation is actually we will just take you straight to uh, the main menu. We'll explain a little bit about what's going on, take you to the workshop then uh, into a tutorial level which has a limited item set, kind of like a daily build. So it's much less terrifying in terms of just volumes of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we just walk you through just some of the real stuff. basics. And the fascinating thing about it is we, so we've actually just done it in-house with everybody on the team so far. Because um, actually a lot of our team are technical people and they're, they're not actually playing level head. Yeah. Much. So Adam hasn't played it too much. Yeah. So. Especially as, as a, uh, builders. Well, that's the other yeah, fascinating. Yeah, I've played it. I've played level for a total of like thirty hours or something, which is not that much. But mostly campaign, and, but all, you know, but entirely campaign. The same and, problem and we were just talking yeah. about. <laughs> and so again, like everybody on the team hasn't, even the team hasn't uh, largely been in the editor. And so <clears throat> this is great, and this is one of those really fascinating things about even our our team size being just six people. Uh, one of the benefits of having a slightly larger team is that you actually have some of those. You have some at least relatively fresh eyes in house, and so you don't have to go searching for it, which is nice. Because uh, we've talked about QA testing some of these past weeks. Mm-hmm. So I built this paper prototype. And what that amounted to was a combination of I just wrote all the words uh, for each one of these steps uh, first and then also built some little uh, – took some little tiny sticky notes that uh, Sampada had on her desk, which are these like little strip ones, and then wrote out what would actually be popping up on screen and then literally would stick it to the screen at various times. And so it was a combination of the focal thing and then sticking it to the screen uh, that eventually evolved yesterday into the final one, which I demoed on Sure, uh, which was just sticky notes. Okay, so I didn't say a word. And the goal was to make sure that me talking wasn't somehow making it more good or interesting than it would be with just words. Um, and just a number of fascinating things came out of it. So one is that every single person, even though we don't require that you publish the level that you've built, every single person published it so far of the three, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and without any – Enthusiastically. Yeah, and they're like – I get this thing I just, out there. Well, I just want – or it was just like I want to see – I just want to see. I yeah, because it wasn't the about getting out because when I was doing it, I wasn't even thinking about the fact that other people would see it. I was just like, oh, this is like – this is done now. Yeah. I'm done with and it. Done means you publish, you publish it. But yes. That was you know that was yeah. the relationship. Yeah. Uh, so I think we we'd been putting a lot of weight on the concept of publishing about being like oh no like what if people don't want to because they're like oh this isn't very good or whatever but people want to finish things they just they, that, yeah. yeah it's actually more of a marker of finish than it yes. is of a, an announcement like hey here's a thing I made to the world yeah. you know? and so that was fascinating and then the other one just being watching watching how people very rapidly actually if you give just the first few minutes of instruction afterward on the on the workshop makes it so that people go from wanting to immediately flee it because of the complexity um, to just start poking around and start exploring. And the, the clearest example of this is something uh, that happened in uh, when, when Zampada was playing, which was one of the very first things that she did was actually click on the level details page, which anybody who clicks on that sees there's just a bunch of options that pop up. It's like choose your avatar, choose the, uh, choose the name for the level, choose a bunch of this other stuff. And – her first response, she was like, oh, I, I think probably probably you're going to need more instruction on the screen. And I was like, yeah, we might be turning that off for now. So just don't even worry about it. So she exits out of it, continues building stuff now for the next half hour through the tutorial. Which, by the way, the tutorial isn't a half hour long. She was just – Yeah, you just – you'll keep on kind of She just got into yeah, the zone. Exactly. So building. between each step, you can take however long, however long you want. And so, yeah, she ended up building this actually really good, kind of elaborate, tall level. Um, and then by the end of it, you hit the publish button. Guess what screen you see? The level details page comes mm-hmm. up again. You have to fill it out. Had zero hesitation. Poking through menus, started like digging in, like just completely yeah, engaged with the didn't thing. Didn't feel like she needed instruction at all. Yes. But it's because yeah. the first time she saw it, 
she wasn't in the mode of yes. like exploring and trying to figure things exactly. out or whatever. Yeah. yeah. The first time so, you see it, you're, you're trying to answer, you're trying to answer a bunch of questions that you don't know the answer to. Like, yeah. what should I call this level? Exactly. What should it look yeah. like? Yeah. What should the music be? And yeah. so I'm super excited because one of the, so the weakest points so far in terms of level heads, like uh, player mechanics, player retention stuff is actually just that first hour, hour or two yeah. versus, and I, when I say weak, I mean that relative to what we've seen with, with, uh, with Crashlands, right? So if we look at our, our, or sort of histogram of playing playing time. Levelhead has less time up front, but yeah, people tend to fall off faster if they are going to fall off. Exactly. But the people who do stick around stick, stick around, around way longer. Yes. So so Crashlands had basically <laughs> no percentage of its player base plays for more than hundred hours. Levelhead actually has a significant percentage of its player base that plays for more than yeah. hundred hours. So yes, yeah, so we have like a U shaped curve, right? Yeah. Like like er- just about everybody sticks around for the first couple of hours, and then. Either they – like a lot of them fall off because we've done a bad job of onboarding them. Yep. But then the ones who get it, just – They're in there They're now. just in there now. And, and, so, just, and it's interesting because it, there's this, you know, this balance between giving players choice and then trying to have them do what's best. You know, mm-hmm. that whole, that whole like paternalistic – Well, this thing. was our campaign unlock philosophy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. You know. And, uh, and with, uh, with the – even with this tutorial of taking people through the workshop where the whole time we were talking, we are like – Okay, well, what if the person like wants to leave? You know, what if they decide they yep. don't want to do this anymore? Uh, we're always trying to think of like, how do we still let the player do whatever they want while they're in this context? But now, after having gone through the sort of the, the paper prototype myself, um, I'm now avidly on the side of we should have the player do the whole thing, yep. and not be allowed to not, um, yeah, because there is there's that there's that subset of people who will then just be like frustrated and quit because they want to do whatever they want. But I think honestly, most people won't even realize it because they're doing a tutorial. Well, and it'll be very Everyone's fast. Everyone's familiar and it's fast. Everyone's yeah. familiar with the idea of like, yeah. when you're in a tutorial, you just finish a t- t- tutorial. More important than that, I think this is not a tutorial that is explaining to you things you already know. Yeah. In fact, for literally everyone, even people on the team who've been working with the game, they don't know how to use the editor. Yeah. Right. <laughs> just straight up. And so you're like, here's how you use this tool. They try to use it and then they're like, well, I'm not sure. And it takes a sec to figure it out. And then they go, oh, every single time. Right. And so, and so I think the reality is it's a difference between a tutorial that's teaching you stuff that you really, frankly, already know versus one that clearly is teaching yeah, you something like, that is too complicated. D- use WASD to move and spacebar to jump. Yeah, right. And you're like, you I, know, yes, obviously. Okay, yeah. This yeah. is a video game. That's right. So maybe we take 10 minutes doing this. But when they're like, okay, so use this switch receiver system to make this pressure plate attached to this door. Also, use it to attach gems to proximity switches. So they disappear and appear. You're like, I don't – you wouldn't pick <laughs> that up. You know, that's not happening. Yep. Um, so it's been, it's been really fascinating to watch. And I'm, the reason I'm so excited about it is because again, we've waited, this is sort of the, one of the weird downsides of the model that we use to build games, frankly, which is that we, we tend to wait until the very end before stuff like story, before this, any tutorial work comes in. And the end result is that the game will suddenly be, uh, much stickier for any new player mm-hmm. at, right at the end. Right. And so it's this weird thing where anytime we submit to shows, anytime we submit demos to, uh, platforms and stuff, we always have to inherently be asking them to look past the fact that there's the game's a, not done yet. a bit of jank in the beginning of it, right? Yeah. It's like a, it's that Minecraft sort of feel where you're like, I just get dropped in here and I don't know what the hell's going on. Yep. And yeah. that is just not – it's not a good way for people to yeah, experience and, and it. Actually, like, we have submitted Levelhead to quite a, quite a few awards and yeah. stuff and it never makes it past the first round. Yeah. The mix, the mix was the first one we got. The only other one we won was the uh, the NDDB stuff that happened last for year. For community. So it wasn't for community. about the game. <laughs> yeah. Well, for community and then we were in the top six, right? So the current, the active players voted on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we, so we, we know that we need to bridge that gap and actually uh, because we're going to be in a Xbox game pass, we have a, a bigger, a bigger uh, barrier there, which is like, so this is a weird thing, right? Cause we say like, now that we're in a subscription service and people can just have the game, 
you think that's great because now the game is much more accessible mm-hmm. and people don't have to decide whether to buy it. But that means the game has to also be much more accessible. The game has to be more accessible. Inside. Yeah, because yeah. if right. you if if somebody pays for a game, they are far more forgiving and willing to sort of like just power through the initial twenty half, thirty half minutes hour yep. or so. Um, so if there's no tutorial, they're like, well, I, I still want to check it out. Mm-hmm. You know, if they just downloaded it uh, for essentially for free or like they already had it through subscription service. Um, if they don't get hooked in in the first couple of minutes, yeah. then it's over. They just yeah. wander off. And so we have a we have a huge uh, obligation to make sure that we totally deliver yeah. on that. So, well, I think it's so exciting to me about this is that is that the reality is that for every copy of the game that gets sold, every player that gets in, the better this onboarding experience is, the more likely it is that the community just continues to grow, yeah. right? Because uh, it should be very easy to get people like you. If you yes. say like to your friend, "Hey, you should check this game out," and then they do, and then, and then half an hour later, they're like, "Check yeah, this level I made." I check yeah. this level. Yeah, I mean, like, how exciting is that? And yeah. so, well, actually, I think I think uh, my experience with um, actually both Game Maker and Kerbal Space Program perfectly kind of demonstrate mm. this problem because Kerbal Space Program was in they were selling it. This was like before the term early access was really like a thing that people were doing. But basically, that's how Kerbal Space Program was. They just sold it straight through their website um, for hmm. twenty bucks or ten bucks or something like oh, that. I didn't know that. And this was like it was like in really early versions. So like you, there was only a moon and the main planet, no other planets, not very many rocket parts and stuff. But still, there were so many. Like compared to the modern game, there weren't very many parts, but there was still a fuckload. And like, I don't know about you guys, but I've never built a rocket functioning <laughs> spaceship. Yeah. Yeah. And so I got the game and the, fir- the first thing that happens is you like you hit, you know, start new save and you're just, you're in the vehicle assembly building looking there's at a bunch of rocket parts with nothing there. And there's just like 150 rocket parts. And this is probably before science mode. This right? is before science mode. So you right? just have all, the you parts. just have 150 rocket parts. And I'm Cause like, in science mode, you have to achieve things to get science points. Yeah. Invest in yeah. Which is points. where we came with the campaign unlocks for yeah. level. Right. Which apparently didn't work. So, but, you so, know. you know, I don't know about like, okay, I need to start with a command module and then attach a fuel tank. Exactly. Like, what's the difference between a solid booster and a liquid booster? Yep. Like I didn't know any of these things. And so, so actually I played it for about 30 minutes and I was just like, oh, f- I don't fuck. I don't know. And, <laughs> and then I just quit. You just left. Yeah. Uh, and and then, if, we is if we, again, if we look at the level head stats, there's a there's a clear portion of the audience that falls exactly into that category. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think it was about a year and a half later, I heard that they had some big science mode update. And I was like, you know, maybe I'll give this game a second shot. And I, and I got it. And then science mode is where you start with four parts. So like yep. you can't fuck it up and your and your rocket will <laughs> I mean, fly. You still yeah. can fuck it up. Like, you can, but it's but it it's takes, it you it'll fuck up in ways that you know. Yeah. Right? Because right. yeah. like it's understandable. Yeah, yeah. So like you just you have like one solid booster and you put a, a command capsule on top and a parachute. Yeah. And like that's your whole rocket, mm-hmm. three parts, and it goes. Like it flies and you can't yeah, screw you, it up. You get hooked right away. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, okay. Maybe and if then I, you land and you get some science points. And then, yeah, you get some science and points and then you get like one new part. Yeah, and yeah. then you see that part and you're like, ooh, I think I know what to do with yep. this yeah. one thing. And so and you, then and you start building around the parts that you get. And yeah, yeah that's and, and so I went from like 20 to 30 minutes of gameplay and then quitting to then the next time I played it with this actual onboarding process, 400 hours. Yes. Right. So like yes. that's that's the difference. Um, and we so we have to. Focus well, it is interesting that. too, right? Because that was our original design intent and then we took that out. And I think it was still probably the right move because in level head, the parts don't have a sense of linear progression, right? Yes. It's just a whole bunch of random stuff that all does different things. You mean things. taking the, that unlock system out was the yeah. right move? Right. Yeah. But, but yeah. there is a consequence to that, which is that when we had that in there, those people who are not familiar with 
the con with like a level editor or the concept of like uh, how to do, how to design a level and all this kind of stuff, which is honestly most people um, would have actually gotten a better experience out of the slow unlock process. Yeah. Right? Um, well, I think, I think actually the, the slow unlock probably confuses what the problem is kind of similar to what you're saying about the fact that, that in, in something like this rocketry thing, you're building these parts that the complexity, the complexity of the parts actually builds on the previous items, right? Yep. yep. Versus in level, they're all just different items. Yeah. And so I think actually what we what we failed to recognize was actually what we needed to teach early on was actually just how to use the fucking editor and, and not and how to explore the items. Yes, yeah. not not each item individually. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, and, and there's um, a possibility that we could we could because for we example, did it. So basically, we went from the place where we we're doing slow trickle to a place where now you just have everything. Yep, but and without all teaching was, the actual thing. Yeah, we just we just traded one problem for a yeah. different problem, yeah. and that's that's and you can see that in the in the rapid fall off of players. Well, and and unfortunately, I think part of that decision too comes from people who want to have everything and are already confident in their ability to build are very vocal about that. Yeah. People who just quit because they're overwhelmed are not vocal. They're gone. Yes. Right. So so we of course biased the game toward the people who just want to have everything. It's also possible that we might, we might consider doing something like adding a, the, adding an automated system that basically like only shows you editor items that you've seen in the campaign. And then you could just like flip a toggle to just, turn that feature off so you can just have everything. There's, there's other things we can also layer in once we get this tutorial in. Um, or that you've even that, or that you've seen in player made levels too. So, right. yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah. So that's kind of where, that's where a lot of our focus is going to be over the coming uh, couple of weeks. So we're, mm. we're kind of like toward the end of the initial prototyping stage and then it's implementation. Uh, coming yeah, I'm soon. so excited. It's going to be good. Yeah. Um, so notice the big, big thing that we did this week is we had to uh, rebuild our deployment pipeline. Yeah. So, A, what is a deployment pipeline? Why is this a problem? Why is it a problem? So a deployment pipeline is basically taking the game from raw code and turning it into a usable piece of software. And delivering it to our customer. And delivering it to the customer. <laughs> so problem. that means, yeah. for example, uploading it to Steam so that Steam can distribute it uh, through the patching system. Um, problem is we got six platforms. Yep. We got a lot of platforms. Um, and so we have to use an automated deployment process that we have put together so that when we, whenever we make changes to the game, then it gets turned into six usable pieces. And of even software. if we didn't have six, it would still suck to not have a pipeline. <laughs> yeah. Um, Which we were doing before. And yeah. it did suck. And it did yeah. suck. <laughs> uh, so that's what allows us to put out patches, you know, daily or hourly or whatever we need to do. Um, but there's, there's an extra layer of complication with all of this, which is when we put out, a, let's say like we put out our patch this week. Um, and now we go, okay, patches out. Everything's great. Time to start working on the next big thing. Mm-hmm. So maybe we start working on some other, or maybe we add a couple of like smaller features to the game, which are not yet fully tested because we just added them, right? And then it turns out, oh my God, there's a bug. There's a bug. There's something wrong with the patch that we just put into players' hands. So right? now you have these two different versions, right? Yeah, these two different versions. And we need to be able to easily fix that bug like on the version that the players have without putting in all the new stuff we've been working yeah, on. Yeah, without also. pulling in all of the new features that we haven't yet fully tested, right? Mm-hmm. And so essentially we need the ability to freeze a version of the game and be like, this is the version of the game that's going to And set it aside. Yeah. And set that aside and be able to hot fix it and patch it and, and, and make little fixes to it while continuing to constantly develop and test new features sort of in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, so the problem with our previous development pipeline is that wasn't possible. Any time we needed to test a new feature, 
that went like right into the main sort of the main like the only pipeline that we had. Um, so in order to test something, we had to sort of override the previous build yes. and then now everything's mixed up. So it, it was very rigid and hard for us to uh, to do those kinds of things. And also uh, when it came to localization or any of these other things, our inability to essentially freeze a version meant that our localization was always partially out of date. Mm-hmm. Um, everything was just and the reason, hard. Yeah, and the reason that that is a, is a big deal besides, of course, the player experience of, you know, if you're playing in Portuguese and then random English words are creeping in there, uh, not exactly the best. But more importantly is that you can't clear cert uh, for specific languages through platforms, if it's not fully, if it's translated. Not fully translated, yeah, mm-hmm. because the check, the check which, which is fair, which yeah. is fair, yeah. You'd be like, this is in German, and they're like, well, it's half German, yeah. You're like, yeah. So yeah, okay. no, it's not. Well, it's, 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 actually one, it's one of those things that it's it's uh, especially if you're working as a solo dev, and if you're only working on Steam, and if you're only working in uh, with an English version of your game, uh, that. And even if you are building a pipeline where you can think of like everything being uh, you know, this continuous process where it's mm-hmm. like you do this and then it triggers that and then this happens. There are some elements of it and, and localization is that is the big one uh, that cannot be made continuous unless yep. unless you have an enormous team and can uh, can afford to have a right. at least one person who speaks every language. That so you when, you, when you say <laughs> continuous, I mean like if I added a, a new pop-up text to yeah. the game. That then by the time it actually shows up in the game at all, it's already localized. Right. Into so meaning like we would have a German translator, a Spanish translator, whatever, just on staff yeah. ready to immediately translate any piece yep, of yeah. text that goes in the game. That would be continuous. Alternatively, you hook it up to like the Google Translate API and have a shitty translation of everything actually immediately, which okay. we, we could do in the interim. And right? then you could like have a real translation come in later. And you know, clean it up. Oh, um, hopefully. Well, yeah. So wouldn't recommend no, that. I wouldn't recommend it. But every example I see that. would be here. That would be the only way to have like a continuous. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I just want to plug this in because every dev I've heard talk about using yeah, Google Translate do. to do it has got they end up getting terrible basically the review score gets completely nuked yeah it's yeah. better to not have the language than oh, yeah. poorly way better yeah, yeah way better just, just so, throw that yeah, so yeah don't that's do that. good yeah. Yeah. it's good, to, it's good to, <laughs> absolutely do not do yeah. that um, but yeah, so, that, so there are some things that uh, and you can think of the same thing with like art assets right like if Seth were to program up something that needed an art asset uh, you can't have that in the game until the until Sam gets the time to actually create Correct. the art asset, right? Yeah. So there are aspects of development um, that that cannot be continuous, and unfortunately, things like localization and getting prepped for cert on a platform, which which is like bug fixes and 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 technical running at technical requirements, like going through the process to make sure everything is fine. Uh, those are things you think of as like being unrelated to development, actually, right? So, so even though we wait for art assets, and then we're like, okay, now this thing is ready, we don't wait for translation assets, right? We just um, ship it. We just ship it and With we just – because that's, that's how we think of it, right? Because um, it looks fine in English. It works on my machine. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so for early access, like on one platform, like this is a thing that we can get away with and it's fine, right? Mm-hmm. But we won't be able to for very much longer. But we can't get away with it once we're like fully launched because once we have real customer bases in any given language, if we then go serve up basically half-baked translations, yeah, it's not good. It's, Real bad. it's just it's a bad experience, and so and right now, actually, the game because we've we've added so many things, the game is only fifty four percent translated now. Yeah, yeah, we have a huge yeah. batch out for translation right and now. A lot of those are for things that p- players can't see yet, which is good. Yes. In the, yeah, in the campaign, <laughs> right? Actually, sure, most of it is. So yeah, that, but still, that is good. Not good. <laughs> yeah, and so so just kind of this interesting part of the process that we need to be able to continue making other stuff, but everything that we that we added to the game also adds new text that needs to be localized, right? And so literally so every feature every somehow has text associated yeah. with it. Everything. And so so part of this process is the ability to freeze so that we can then basically say, okay, this is the version of the game that we want to deploy, like for realsies, right? Uh, that means that that version, 
the strings will no longer be changed. The text won't be changing anymore. You would call this string lock. String lock. Meaning the, the strings have been locked. Strings as in pieces of text, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, so they're locked. They're not going to change anymore. And neither is any of the kind of the game because if we were to change a feature of the game. There's that, new strings. Well, not only new strings, but also that's now a thing that hasn't gone through cert. Yep. Right. Yep. And so now – so basically every time we change anything, that means that it has to be localized again and it has to go through cert again, Right. So we need to be able to freeze a version while still continuing ahead with development and be able to make minor, minor, minor changes to that sort of, you know, frozen version yep. specifically and only to address the things that were broken about it. Right. Um, and that's it. So that's where we're at. Uh, so we rebuilt our deployment pipeline. It took several weeks of sort of like on and off collaboration. Um, but yesterday was the big day yeah, of like it was pulling the whole thing together. Because yeah, it was really it was like it was like a week of tool building that I did and then – Spread across several weeks of waiting for the timing to work out. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. So that's also we're, we're releasing patches and doing other stuff. Yeah. And yeah. Like bringing down our deployment pipeline for a day is not, not the best. Not yeah. Awesome. So we had to like find a time to do it. And then we found one time to do it. But of course, we hadn't actually gotten the chance to test it and like see if, yeah. yep. see if all the tools that I made were even good, you know? So like, so there's then a phase of review, find out if this is yep. good, phase of fixing it and, you know, whatever. So it's, it's taken collectively, I think, like, like six weeks actually. Yeah. Um, it's been a big thing and it's done now. Oh, yeah. It feels so good. Yeah. And, and so th this, so what this means for players is essentially once we fully convert to this, this process, then even on the steam version, uh, it will always just be fully localized. Yeah. And it, and features will, there will Except be maybe in the beta channel, the beta yeah. channel will not. Be, yeah. yeah. Right. And there, there'll be a, there'll be a short, uh, lag now because right now we're just delivering features. Like as soon as they're tested, they're out. Boom. Yep. Right. Yep. And so there's going to be this kind of like weird phase in the middle now, where as we transition to this, where now features will have a, a bit of a lag so that they can be tested more thoroughly and also be translated and everything else. Um, and so, so once we get past that sort of like weird void mm -hmm. in the timing, then it should be pretty much the same as yep. normal in the sense that we can deliver patches on the same pace. There's just going to be this. There's when players lag get period. them, will lag behind by about two weeks or whatever. Right. Yeah. Because so. right now that you're getting them almost instantly. In the future, there will be like a week lag of getting features, which means for right now, there's going to be like a one week hole yep. <laughs> where we're converting to this. Yeah, system. and it's, it is one of those things that's uh, it has to be this way, but it's frustrating for all parties, you know. That yeah, we don't want to have to wait a week to get. We stuff would love to like to make a thing and then deliver it to everybody immediately, right? Um, but it's got to get tested and it has to be localized because otherwise, we're only delivering it to some people, you know. Right. Um, and, and, and it's a, one of those just realities. In a week, that's fine. It's really can, not very long. We can long. live with that. Yeah, it's yeah. really not very long. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but when you hear players, you know, complaining about um, how slow development is and like, yeah. and they're like, it would be so easy to make this change. Like, why can't you just do it? It's like, it well, is. It is. It changes. It's easy to make the change. Getting it then out. Yeah. Is the, is, yeah. Uh, I mean, the cost. A lot of middlemen in there. Yeah. The cost of localization and then and getting through cert and all the QA that goes into making sure that the, the change that was made didn't propagate into other things unexpectedly because it did. It always does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is is actually enormously high, and so it's something to. Isn't our next this next localization round we have for the other half is like a ten grand? Mm -hmm. Yeah, chunk. Yep. So like, that's it's a lot of words. It's a lot of money. A yeah. Shit. That's yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. And that's that's the game with with fairly minimal text. Actually, yes. Um, in, in the sense of we don't have. We're not talking like triple A, you know, ten novels all written that collectively. Correct. Make up the, I can't eat. Yeah, and, and so you start looking. Crashlands at, actually, Crashlands has about sixty thousand. Crashlands times as much. Yeah, Crashlands would cost between like ten and fifteen k per language is what yeah. we came up with. So like that, there's a reason why we haven't done it because it not only on the we tech can't. side, it just costs 
a lot. And the, well, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a pure cost <laughs> benefit of, of opening up a market and whether or not that market will pay for the cost of going to that market. Yeah. Right. And had we done it at launch, it would have, but we couldn't Definitely. afford it at the time. Yeah. yeah. So now we're trying we, to now do that. Now that we're deep in the tail, it's not, it's not obvious or we, I guess we don't, we don't know how to gauge whether or not doing yeah. that would be good for Crashland yeah. specifically. Um, so last little bit of studio news before we talk about industry news uh, is we have now fully finished our last big business deal that yeah. was one of the prerequisites for knowing when signed and executed knowing when we're going to launch levelhead mm-hmm. we know we now have a window like a a pretty narrow window of when this game is coming out yep still not a specific date but we know yeah now so we should know a date sometime in the next little while and then as soon as we you know, do a little bit of strategizing around to make sure we're not dumb as far as talking yeah, about we it. To, once we know when we're going to launch, we still have to know when we're going to announce when we're going to launch. What you're going to do for that announcement. Who are you yeah. going to tell about that? Previews? Are you give people previews at that time? What about later? How does it work? Yeah. There's yeah, a lot. It's, of, it's, again, just, just like with the whole localization. The same like, shit. You can't, you can't just be like, ooh, we know when we can launch. Let's go tell everybody. Because yeah. there's 15 other people who have to get involved. <laughs> at least. <laughs> well, and, and, it's not that, and they all have their own timeline. It's not that they have to. It's that without them, there's no point. There's no point in launching. <laughs> there's no point in launching. There's no point in making an announcement because our, our ability to get people excited basically extends to the people that we can directly talk to, right? And we're not worried about whether or not they like we're not worried about the people who listen to this podcast, people who are in our Discord. Correct. We're not worried if they're going to be like, if they're going to be excited about the launch date am- announcement, yeah. right? Because we know that like they're, they're you, you are the the only people who actually like give a shit about what <laughs> we're definitely up to, right? will be. Yeah, yeah. and right. so it's, it's everybody else who we have to yeah. worry about. People who don't know about our studio, who yep. have never played Crashland. How do we get them roped in using this? Roped in, and, and we can't do that using the tools that we have because the tools that we have only reach to the people we can already reach. And know? that's where business relationships come in. We talk to people who have a platform, who have a huge broadcast, and they can just be like, here, six billion people, look at this game. Yeah, and then our questions are like, on on the day that we announced the announcement, we got to drop the new trailers. That's Yeah. So we're also working on new trailers. It's just about done, and it is hilarious. It is something. (laughs) This is also my voice acting debut. Yeah, 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 so there. It's going to be a good one. See if you can can pinpoint which one I am. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, then the, and then the question with that is, do we do we sell ads for it? I mean, sorry, yeah. buy ads. Do we buy, buy ads? ads? Uh, and and like and to make this thing more visible mm-hmm. when we announce the launch date, yeah. or do we wait until we're actually doing the launch before we do ad spend? Mm-hmm. And like and do we? And as Sam said, do we rope in all the people who we want to to review the game and play it on stream? Mm-hmm. Like, do we rope that in them in now, or do we wait until or is actually, that too soon? Because the game's already in early access. They can kind of get it anyways, but then... But they can't get know, it on mobile and stuff yeah, like that. If they so cover us for the preview, will they then just not cover us during the actual yeah. launch, which does happen? So, yeah. like, did, what? Yeah, I don't so know. So, what do we do? And yeah. so, that's... Well, so, the funny thing about this, too, is, is, of course, like, so the game is in early access, and we have, we have announced that we're essentially on a... Uh, pseudo feature freeze like the only stuff that we're working on is stuff that we believe is going to contribute to the success of the launch yep. right yep. Um, and thankfully our our players in the discord have been very respectful of that because mm-hmm. they know how important that is as well we're also getting cool stuff still you know yeah, yeah colorblind mode in there got all sorts of cool things yeah. popping in and again like that's that's part of the launch thing too yep. right because we also we know that like something like five percent of people have some kind of colorblindness mm-hmm. of it might even be 10. It's pretty high. It's like surprisingly it's high. It's surprisingly high, yeah. Um, it's something that just isn't talked about as much as it's it's you more would think. it's more of our Windows players than there are Mac players. Yeah. So like so like <laughs> adding colorblindness. Yeah, so adding colorblind features actually opens up a bigger audience than porting adding the Mac game to Mac. Yeah. So <laughs> 
uh, actually Mac is, plus Linux combined, which probably times two or something. Um, yeah, and so there's there's all these kinds of things that uh, they just take they take a lot of work, they take a lot of time, uh, and and we have to do them to make this thing go. And and I like yeah, man, I, I really wish we could just go back to adding 10 new items. I want to get you guys that laser. We want to get you lasers. Yep. We want mm-hmm. to get you the ability to put colored keys inside of enemies. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, still can't do that. But but the question we always have to ask is like, those, those are features that like, once you're really into the game, then you're like, oh, it'd be cool if I had this yep. thing. Yeah. Or we'd be like, oh, it's dumb that I don't. It's dumb Either that I don't. And like, yes, we, we had totally right, agree. Right there yeah. with you. But, <laughs> yeah. but we now have to focus on people who, who right now can't get into the game. Because those people will never get the, even the chance to wish yes. that they had colored keys inside. They won't, <laughs> they won't have the opportunity to be angry at us. They, yeah. yeah. So we, we, want, we want to make sure that players get to be angry. Yeah. We need to get people. That's so, actually true. Yeah. Honestly, it's like I, we, we <laughs> want to do a good enough job that you stick around long enough to, to find be, all the holes. To find all the flaws. Upset. Yeah. yeah. And that's 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 the dream. So we, need, <laughs> <laughs> we need we want like a million just really angry mm-hmm. players uh, yeah. because that means we have a million players. So that's the hundred percent the goal. Yeah. Um, all right, so that's kind of where things are at with Levelhead. It's really moving. It's very exciting, uh, and I think this is going to be like we're we're putting so we're setting up so many fucking dominoes. Yeah, the pre-launch is always so fun because it's get like this launch it's always terrifying because of course you don't know if any of them are actually going to go. But um, when it comes to like the whole, I love the setting up the dominoes thing. Like you get your spreadsheet of like here's all the things we need to do before launch, and then you yeah. just start like. Yeah, what I'm most excited about is like this is a six platform simultaneous launch. Yeah, with a six person team. No, but no, literally nobody does. Yeah, Uh, even I think it took Fortnite like a year and a half to come to Android. Yeah, who does with with the resources that Epic has? So this is this is kind of like a cool feather in our cap that we get to, you know, maybe we'll fuck it up terribly, maybe. (laughs) But if we don't, (laughs) I mean, as we said, and and actually several of those platforms are very easy to to patch. Yeah. So, you know, we do have that. They're easy to patch, but easy everything is complicated to deploy to is the yeah. truth. Yeah. And when you look at also the requirements for like getting featured on various platforms and stuff, like all the platforms require that you use certain weird pieces of their own tech. Yep. yep. Whether it's their Steam terminology or, yeah, or. They're going to make Steam trading cards, which luckily we did like months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So I don't have to bother with that shit right now. I, but think, the, I think the lore no longer makes sense, but it's just. They're, yeah, all, the they're all out of date and we can't change them. <laughs> yeah, so we actually found that out. That's a fun one. You can't change your Steam cards uh-huh. after you publish them. So. You can't even change like the text on them. Yeah. They just, they just that's what, what it is are now. Now. So some of them are lies. Yeah. That's just where that's But they do be. exist, which is apparently the thing that matters. Yep. So. Matters more than their accuracy. <laughs> uh, all right. Last little bit of news. Uh, the coronavirus is – is Yes. The fears of the coronavirus, rather, is wreaking havoc on GDC. We've yeah. now heard of as, – As of recording, because most of this has happened in the past just few days. Yeah. So who knows? We might get out of here and someone else – this goes live, who knows? But yeah. The time of recording, Epic is pulled out. Facebook is pulled out. Unity. Unity is pulled out. Microsoft. Microsoft. Uh, and – Epic. Wait, you said Sony. Epic. Sony. Yep. Is that everybody? All the big ones Did so far? Oculus and Facebook. Yeah, Facebook already got Kojima there. Productions pulled Kojima out. Kojima pulled out. Capcom pulled out. Don't I even know that yeah. one. Capcom pulled out. So, yeah. So they're just dropping like flies. Mm-hmm. And, and of particular note are some of these bigger ones like uh, like Facebook and Xbox. Yes. Uh, and those are in particular because they always have a really big show floor. Unity uh, is Unity has like, Unity, Unity usually has like a yeah. city block yeah. on the Xbox yeah. floor, which means actually, so the Xbox floor is going to be – Expo floor is going to be weirdly empty with yeah, Unreal yeah. and Unity. In yeah, because the, yeah, the, the scale for for anybody who's not gone to to GDC into the Expo, um, the the scale of the of 
of money being displayed oh, it's wild. on the expo hall. They literally build buildings they build inside, buildings inside of the, the building. expo floor. And they're nice buildings. And they're often, these aren't shacks. Yeah, and when I say are, building, I mean like a two-story structure. Well, like they covered actually, in dope LED screens, too. Yeah. yeah. And then they actually they actually will like – they'll build a two-story building and then they'll have like the top floor will be meeting rooms, you yep. know. I assume with like running water showers, <laughs> gym, <laughs> you know, all that stuff. It's wild. Uh, and so like if you want to meet with somebody from one one of these mm-hmm. these companies, then you'll you'll probably meet them in one of the meeting rooms that they just that built, they built that morning. Yeah. You'll so, go upstairs. Yeah. So the scale is really outrageous. Um, and so But so, not this year because it's no, zero. But and to me that's the kind of the incredible part is is that the amount of investment that had to already have gone into this, right? Because yeah. it's a sunk cost problem, right? So it's and this is three weeks in advance, which means that the everything has they're not been getting paid their for. money back. Yeah, yeah they're definitely. Um, and I saw some some people making calls for like GDC to change their their uh, refund their policy. refund policy, and I'm like, they can't. They can't. There's, they would go bankrupt. They yeah, can't. You do can't that. be like, oh, actually, because we'll they give. had to spend fuckloads of money just getting yeah, this. Yeah, they've yes. already spent the money, right? Um, we all have to just. Yeah, you get up to this eat is, it. This just is the cost, the cost of a, of an epidemic, I guess. Yeah. Is that everybody yeah. everybody has to spend a lot of money, unfortunately. Yeah. So so where things are at is is like a lot of these companies are pulling out uh, of this thing, not because they are necessarily directly being hit by people getting infected, Correct. but because of the worry about just the spread of the thing, right? Well, and and, and how fast things are moving. Uh, this is now three weeks out or whatever, four weeks out. Um, and so the question is, by that time. What's going to happen? happen? And it's much easier, especially given the the scale for all these companies of the operations that they're putting on at GDC. The closer they get to the GDC, the harder it's going to be to like yeah, actually cancel, cancel and pull out. Yeah. So when you talk about like a company like ours, we're again, it kind of comes down to the same way we design do business, but we're very fast. Like we could be like, actually, we're not going to do that, and we just it's fine. Yeah, it'll we're be not very expensive. But it'll be it'll be expensive whether we do it or not. Correct. Um, the only difference is, is there a point to doing it and will we get disease? Yeah. So for us, we will still be going provided that a few of the major platforms that we still have meetings scheduled with are going. Yeah. If it reaches um, a point where none of our business partners are there, then the only thing to go for would be for me to give my talks. But presumably it would be to an to empty, empty room. room. <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah. So, so at that, that point, there's also no point in that. Yeah. And well, that's part of it too, which is interesting, right? Is that the the value proposition of the event keeps on going down because of exactly this, right? Yeah. Because so we if were there aren't going to be people be, in the audience, then why are people going to have talks? Yeah. And so then they pull out. And well, not only that, but I mean, like, <laughs> we, were, we were supposed to be demoing with uh, the Xbox team yeah. on Thursday and for Friday in days. the expo floor. Yeah. We were so going to be part of our plan. Big part of our plan. We were going to be on canceled. their Mixer stream. We were going to be talking about level head and stuff. All gone. And so this was, like this sucks for us too because like we and we also just had started scheduling press meetings. Um, and this is part of our the, the whole idea for us. We we're like this is the last time we get to lock eyeballs with all the of mm-hmm. our stakeholders for the launch of Levelhead and just like chat, get in a room together, show them what like have them play it in our presence, yep. like do the whole thing. And boom, now it's gone. Yeah. Yep. So it's for a at big, least for at least Xbox and. And potentially some of our other platforms, yeah. right? So yeah, we're still waiting on the on the rest of them to see. But I think that's that's the big. The, I mean, the reality is it does suck. Um, as far as like a, it was, it was our last major press opportunity. Um, as far as the easy ones to go and just like actually have those conversations with people straight up. Yep. Uh, but of course, so, why are press going to go if like if Xbox is like, like, yeah. not going to be there, then press is going to evaporate just as yeah. quickly. And so we we still have all of our meetings. We have a shit ton of meetings scheduled, um, and we still actually have all of them scheduled. And so what what we'll be doing, um, regardless of if if the people are there or not is we'll be moving our meetings to a, a digital one. If they're, if they're not present, we'll just yeah. call them on the phone. Right. Um, yep. So we're still going to use it or as we'll just fly to all of their headquarters, I guess, right. which collectively will cost us less than going to GDC anyway. Um, yeah. yeah so, <laughs> so everything's still a little bit up in the air. I mean, we're, we're definitely, I personally very much, as long as we have a couple of those business partners, there is still very much worth us going. 
Um, but if there aren't any, but if there aren't any, then it's not. And yeah. so it's and just if, or like, if there's even if there's only one at that point, it's like we could just call them. <laughs> yeah. We'll just go visit them. Yeah, specifically we'll for an out, afternoon. Out, have go have drinks. Well, that's exactly the main value of GDC is just the fact that everyone's there at the same time in person, mm-hmm. right? So if only one person is there at the same time, then that's just yep. a regular meeting. So <laughs> don't need a conference for that. <laughs> yeah. And so as far as Seth's talks go, if it's the case that GDC ends up getting in any way sort of canceled or or uh, or we're not or able we to attend. Come, yeah. Um, because it just doesn't make any sense financially, then then we what we will do is record the talks in some way and get them up. Yeah, I've been, online. I've been prepping those damn things. Just put like fucking dozens of hours of work into. I put probably eighty, 80 hours into these talks. Yeah, our general rule is rebuilding them. Yeah, it's at least an hour per minute that you're talking, and these are sixty minute talks. Both uh, one is thirty. Oh, you do one thirty. Okay, so they're not quite done yet because I'm only eighty hours into prep. There you go. I need yeah. to do ten. More. <laughs> yeah. They're ten hours, so, which yeah. is true actually. Yep, yeah. about right. Yeah, so. It's going to be a lot, so hopefully we can we can still get the value out of it, um, just maybe in a different way, depending on if, if we end up not needing to go. But yeah, we'll yep. see. Uh, all right, so that's a, there's a lot. This is one of those weeks, one of those big weeks that lots of things. It's just going to keep going, going for a little on. bit here. Yeah. Um, but it was also the case too that we already uh, so Sampada who who manages like has managed the travel and like yeah. and stuff uh, is getting. Probably more annoyed than anybody, any anybody on the team, because we we just had to reschedule some flights because of of presenting the Xbox yep. stuff. Because we we're like, because we realized we actually needed to be there all day, like somebody had to be there all day Friday uh, to yes. to do it. Um, and then and we're like, oh fuck, so like just just literally like a few days ago, days ago we, yeah. we just rescheduled all the rescheduled stuff. So Seth and I were going to stay an extra day. We had to get another mm-hmm. hotel room, you know. And now and, Microsoft's not there. Microsoft's so not there. So now we're not doing nothing on Friday. <laughs> So, another question is like, how many more times are things going to like go wonky yeah, so when we she's she's wait should I reschedule? Days. Like, let's just wait a couple more days. Yeah, and yeah. see what what the news brings. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. All right, let's get on to some questions. Uh, looks like yeah, we got like ten minutes for questions. Perfect. So let's, let's go. Let's bang these out. Top question comes from Mimibip Gorky, who says, "You have three months to release a mobile game. Sam is the game programmer. Adam is the artist, and Seth is the web programmer. Ooh, describe okay. your product." Uh, well, hot garbage, bad, <laughs> real fucking bad. No, I think it'd be small. I think it would be very that. small. It would just be I small. Mean, it would be a hyper casual title. I was the artist, is what they said. You're the artist, Adam. Yeah, that is. So it would be a it would be a minimalist, minimalist puzzle game. Very minimalist, not puzzle game. So here's the thing. Yeah, because puzzle puzzle games, simulation, strategy, these all require very finely tuned balance. Yeah, right? yeah. It, would, it needs to be a hyper casual minimalist and shape based. So there's yeah. be nothing. It would be an arcade yeah. game. It's like what it would be. Yeah. Hyper casual market we target. Uh, probably would actually try to just, I would, if we had just three months to make it, I would actually probably just try to sell it to like catch up or whatever the fuck. Some of those other voodoo, I don't know. Some of those other publishers who just publish a shitload mm-hmm. of hyper casual games. So we just build it for three months and then I'd start pitching it. And That'd if I'm it. the, I'm web- not going to launch that shit. No way. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it's not going to make any money. <laughs> if I'm way. the web programmer, uh, because I we know literally nothing about no actual backend today. web dev or f- I know, I know HTML, which is not yeah. front end web build dev. A- so what I would no. do is I would purely program a multiplayer, real time multiplayer layer on top of Sam's garbage game code. There you go. <laughs> there yep. you go. So that counts. That counts as that web. Counts. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, and so that would be one where you just have to connect directly to IP addresses and do yeah. that stuff. Yeah. So I would just, I wouldn't program any game mechanics or systems. It would yes. be a super just, insecure 
connection as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. We're security is not a concern. We're banging this thing out. Yeah. We got to sell it. It's made of holes. I mean, in, order, yeah, in order for people to play with each other, they have to know each other's IP addresses anyway. So yeah. Like, that's that's on them now. If they, that's if on they you. Give your, if you give your IP address to some random hacker. Mm-hmm. Also, the password would be you. your social security number just to really make it safe. You know, And yeah, that would also be your username. There's <laughs> displayed to everyone. Yeah. There we go. Yep. Maybe we could sell that on the. Uh, like, on we the, needed every player to have the a dark un- web. A unique. Yeah, <laughs> we needed every player to have a unique ID, and just by chance, everybody already has one. You get it built in. So well, we, we just what are we doing it? outside the United States, though. <laughs> huh? What are we doing outside the United States? Because this, this is for, for U.S. citizens only. Okay. Yeah, we're not uh, doing a multi. We're not doing international. This is, this is a very constrained launch. <laughs> yeah. You know, actually, only, not even only for U.S. citizens. <laughs> no, because you get a social security number even if you're just a resident, right? If, uh, as soon as you get a green card, right? You yeah, yeah. So, but you could be. You know works? But yeah, work. but getting getting just a resident though is a very yeah. hard and very high bar to get over. So. That's true. I mean, I assume Canadians have. Well, look, Adam. Numbers. This is well, the system. This is the but system. They probably have some other number. Yeah. This is the system we've landed on, and we're sticking to it. Okay, <laughs> we're gonna use. We don't have time. Security. We, we got don't have go. time to redesign this thing. We only have three bucks. That's true. <laughs> That's only true. forward. I gotta say though, anytime I sign up for some kind of a financial service. And they're like, we need your social security number. I'm like, can we I, not? Though? I don't. Could we I not? really just don't want to give it to yeah. you. They're always like, don't worry. It's like we're going to use it as part of your username or something. I walked, <laughs> I walked into – this was years ago, like 20, 2010 or something. I walked into an H&R block to like talk to somebody about doing my taxes that year. Um, ever since then, I've, I've – because of this experience, I've now only used uh, the online stuff, mm, like TurboTax, which, yeah. which I hate on principle because of they're the reason that we have a shitty tax system. Correct. Uh, or now we use like legit real accountants because we need to because we run a business. Yeah. Um, but that one experience, I walked in the door and they had a sign-in sheet and there were a bunch of people kind of waiting, you know. And the sign-in sheet said, your name, social security number. No. It was, was the fucking <laughs> sign-in sheet. No. So I was looking at it. There was just a list of people's first and last names and social security numbers. Just like – because of course nobody shit. Yeah, and I so I, I walked and I saw that, and I walked out the door, and then that was my entire experience. Did, you didn't say anything, block. anybody. Oh my god! You were like, no, this excuse was excuse me. This is the time. Like, like today, if it happened to me again, I would be like sending emails. Call the police. Call, yeah, I'd be like, what the what the fuck? This is a. Uh, the police would be like, well, we need your social security number in order. Yeah, to exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Could you stop <laughs> for a damn moment? We're gonna need to do it. Yeah, we're gonna need to check your. Uh, Check your credit score before yep. we come. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've, I've had those things though, where like I go to yeah. the bank, I go to the bank, maybe like make a wire transfer, or do something, and and they always they always need your social security number for you to do literally anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they'll they treat it like a password, even though it's not really. Right. And they'll write it on a post-it note. Yeah, and then they'll just start carrying it around the office as they go to do things. Yeah. And so what I always do anytime I see this happen, I will not leave. I'm like, I need to see. You destroy that and you need to give <laughs> yeah. it back to me, yeah. right? Yeah. Or if it's written, if you wrote it on something, I need to see you like make it non-legible, mm-hmm. like cross that shit off with a sharpie or something. Because yeah, people are so casual about it. It's wild. Yeah, because the problem really is that it's treated as if it's secret when it, it – as in like the way that people use it is as if it is a secret, right? But it's not treated as if it's secret Correct. by the people who are dealing stuff. So it's not. So it just isn't secret. I could guarantee you that your social security number is sitting in a text file on some random person's desktop oh, yeah. in like 50 different companies right now. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's, right. It's, it's sitting on Amazon S3 just on an open downloadable thing. Oh, right? sure. Yeah. Probably. I guarantee. Someone's got it in a, probably a Google Doc that's just searchable yeah. from the web. They could- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's fucking wild. Yeah. Uh, all right, <laughs> next question comes from Hakuzo. What was the very first video game that the brothers have played? Played? Oh, I have no idea. What system? Do you remember? Probably Game Boy. 
Math Blaster. Oh, yeah. Word Munchers, I Word think. Munchers. Was, I, that's yep. the first one I can remember. Or which Ski was, Free, one of those. Ski Free was kind of, I feel like that was late. I think it was though. probably Word Munchers. I think Word Munchers was. Or Super Word Munchers. Because that was when our- Super Word Munchers. Yeah, because our parents I, got us that computer. I think it was probably- That was at school, though. No, I think it was probably was before that. I think it was- Because I know one of our cousins had a, a Nintendo. Oh. Like an NES with the OG Mario on that thing. Yeah. I do remember playing that at an inc- like a super young age, like probably three or something. Mom, mom's family had the had an Atari on the farm. Remember this? Yeah, and we, we, we played did, the but we didn't parachuting. We older though, I don't think we played the parachuting game. Yeah, we played the parachuting when was that? Game. I feel like we were older when we had that. Yeah, I think it was her. Her brother like dusted off his old Atari. Yeah, and we were over there once. in the basement. Yeah. yeah. That game was pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, there were there were a yeah. few kind of early ones. Yeah, we all we all got Game Boys for road trips when we were. I much, played much a lot younger. of Galaga, Galaxy, and Centipede because it was a tree. It was a triple game. Triple game. Triple and one. one. On, on Game Boy. Yep. We had that. We had like the it's Jurassic Zelda. Park game on the Game Boy. Oh, yeah. Was that on the Game Boy or was that? Was a, on the that game was Boy. a thing. I thought that was a. That was actually no, a different think, device. That was another thing too. We did we did have some of those like little cheap uh, the, handheld ones with the. L, the that, it's like one game. It's and, one yeah. game on there, yeah. Yeah. And it's with like. It's like the shapes that just like light up. Yep. Thing. I mean, have, how do you just how do you describe that? They have no forgiveness as far as forgiveness. It was like a Mister Game and Watch. Yeah. Thing. Yep. Um, yeah. So we so we we had some of those things. But. I feel like Word Munchers is one that just sticks with me though. Like I just I loved that game. It's oh so yeah. Fun. The characters yeah. are so weird. I need to look. I love, in my mind it looks awesome. It doesn't. What is it? I mean, like some it, of those are educational games from the nineties. They're fucking really good. Dope. Like Math, Math Blasters, Blasters Word awesome. Munchers, Mario teaches typing. I, I played that. Yeah, out of that game. that's probably why we type so fucking fast. <laughs> yeah. 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 Was, I was born with it. <laughs> Mario, Mario, talk about it. I was born in the darkness. And you yeah. guys remember that that game? It was some educational game where you're running along a mountain. You're like in a little parka, and you got nets, and you catch these angry snowballs. Yes, out of the air. What uh, was that? I found it. I can't remember what it is again, but I. Oh was, my God, my, my nostalgia. Yeah, no, there was, there was, I went on a kick a few, I don't know, like five or so years ago or something where I was like, I was like trying to find those things. They're like emulators so you can, you know. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, I was like, I want to see if I can, because Path was in the Darkness was the one I wanted to play. Yep. And then while I was like, well, I was looking for that, I did find it. Um, when I was looking for that, I was also looking for these. And I was like, I was like, this, I was like, so I was just doing all these Google searches. Wait, like what? that snowball game. What was the point of it? Do you remember? Uh, you're trying to get to the top of the mountain. I think. Are you doing math stuff? And on you the do way? math puzzles. <laughs> so like, and then you use it to earn money. To like, cause you have to, like you spend a net every time you use it. Yeah. And I don't, and for some reason you need the snowball. I don't know. I can't remember, but like we played a lot of that. I loved that thing. I remember it. Yeah. And I did find it. Do you know and called? an emulator. I can't remember what it's called. And I did play it again and it was not nearly as good as I, I mean, it never, nothing <laughs> ever is. But, I'm sure yeah. wood merchants is absolute garbage, but I, I also remember Things because you know, at the time, technology just wasn't there yet. Where, mm-hmm. like, for example, now it's here. For example, mm-hmm. you, you couldn't like listen to music while playing a computer game because your computer only had enough power to barely run a game, yeah, right. And we, there was no such thing as Spotify or Napster, even or yep. whatever, LimeWire. Yeah, and so we would like bring a, a boombox down and put on jock jams. <laughs> <laughs> we did a lot of jock and play jams. that and CD. play Pathways in a Darkness. That is, like, to me, that is the that is like the thing that I actually That's have the, a have a memory for. Essential yeah. yep. gaming memory of our youth is listening to jock jams on a boombox while playing Pathways into Darkness. <laughs> yeah. Which was about sort of like uncovering Nazi secrets in a demon-infested pyramid were they or something Nazis? like that. Yeah. There it were dead Nazis Because you found copies of Mein Kampf on all of the Nazi bodies. Yeah. They would have a copy of Mein Kampf and they would did have – Did Nazis actually carry around like a little Bible? I don't I don't know. I doubt so. they did. I don't think. 
I have no so. idea. They're probably just trying to, you know. But these ones did. These ones did. They were, they were, they were astute everywhere. readers. Yeah. yeah. It turns out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, so yeah, that's, that was weird. That was weird. That was, a, that was a bungee. That was a bungee game. Like the like the like actual modern bungee. Yeah, bungee? Like the bungee. Has bungee been around that long? They've been around for a long time. Yeah. Pathways into darkness. Oh, they started off. They also made they're not well known. For- <laughs> 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 All right. Last question comes from Seven Aylor, like Taylor, but like with a seven. Mm. Nice. Yeah. Uh, are there any periods or events in history that really fascinate you? What are they? Why do you enjoy learning and thinking about those events or time periods? I feel like it is the case that every time, every time I look just a little more at some particular thing, you find out that there's this whole. You kind of forget that we. I guess when it's almost like when you read a news story, right? Like you're getting sort of the it's all sanitized. Yeah, you're getting like a couple paragraphs about it. But then if you dig in, then you start realizing that that those couple paragraphs hit you know maybe 200 people, and each one of those people has a particular reason that they were like in the vicinity at that time or involved in some way. Um, and so I feel like actually what it is is that almost every time you start looking below the surface of any one of these events that just very, barely grabs your attention. Um, or even systems that barely grab your attention, then you end up finding out just how obscenely amazing some of this stuff was. I just read on, I think it was on Reddit, some question was like, what's some, what is some uh, just sort of astounding his- history that you know? And one of them was about the 1904 Olympics in St. Louis uh, and the marathon, which apparently, as far as like what happened, the number one guy who won drove like half of the marathon, okay? <laughs> which was... He got tired like halfway through. He decided he was going to quit and then got in his car, was driving, and then saw the finish line and then decided to get out and go finish it. Okay? <laughs> now, what's even better is the second place guy um, had to be helped across the line by his trainers because they had given him a weird concoction that they thought was going to make him super, like, super strong. Was it cocaine? It was, it was fucking, it was like, it was part rat poison. Okay. <laughs> they literally poisoned this man and they carried him across. 1904 things. And it gets even worse. The third place guy uh, was a Cuban dude who had run all, all around Cuba to get money to be able to come to St. Louis, arrived in New Orleans, blew it all gambling. Okay. <laughs> Somehow managed this to get. This is the most fucking nineteen. Wait for it. Story it I've ever heard. Wait for it. Somehow managed to get to St. Louis. Okay, after blowing all this money in New Orleans, did he run? Ran, but didn't have any actual athletic gear, so was running in in full dress attire. Okay, so he just wore a suit. Wore a suit <laughs> that was hacked off at the waist or at the at the knees by another runner who happened to have a knife on him at the time. Right to kind of what air it up. But he uh, only got third place probably because he took a nap halfway through <laughs> after eating some bad apples at an orchard off the path. Okay? So, like, so you you, you hear about something like, oh, yeah, there's the, 19, the Olympics. And you know, the Olympics, this prestigious event. And then you the hear, like, the actual – some of these actual people. Well, and what what athletics used to be like. Yes. It was, it was a very different thing that it did. People, the people who got ninth and tenth place – were for the word quote the team from South Africa wasn't a team sent by South Africa. It was two South African students who were here who just thought it would be fun to enter the race. Okay. So like <laughs> like, oh yeah, I can run. What is happening? It's one of those things where you look into it and I had the same situation when I looked into the post office system stuff, which I've I told Adam Seth about a lot um, off air. But in 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 preparation for uh, writing the presentations for the Bureau of Shipping and some other stuff, I just decided like, okay, let's go look in like what why would the Bureau of Shipping still exist in the very far future. Like, why would you have a shipping organization? And the history there ends up being absolutely fascinating in the same way that this, like, 1904 Olympics thing is, where it's yeah. just, everything's just wild. And so I feel like the truth is every time I just actually get in there a little bit, then you just sort of uncover this Well, this is, the, this is for me, the, 
now, now that I know these things, you know, the bummer about looking back on my own education is like history was always just a cursory history of wars. Yes. Like yeah. in school, all you learn about is like which countries were killing people from which other countries and why. And then like, then let's talk about the next batch of countries that were killing each mm-hmm. other. And that's, that's all we really covered. And, and then whenever you see these really deep dives into one specific person or at a specific event, it's, there's just, it's just endlessly, it's endlessly weird cool. and interesting, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. I think the thing that I enjoy about it is that, especially growing up and being the way that we were taught history, um, but even in general, there's, there's this weird, like sort of nostalgic, uh, uh, like, like literally everything about the past, like the people are like, Oh, wouldn't it be nice to have been like a, you know, like be it like a, a rustic farmscape, you know, like, oh, yes. like you can look back at any time, like be back from the 50s, men. you know, yes. like, like when the, the greatest generation, like there's all this other thing you look back on it and it feels because of the way that we're taught history. It feels like it was simpler. things were simpler. Right? Times were simpler. And, mm-hmm. and the fact is, and it's, and it's, and, and to, until you actually dig into all these things, the fact is the past, even no matter how bad things are today and they're pretty bad right now. Mm-hmm. Right. But no matter how bad things are, Literally every day before this was worse. Like every day. <laughs> yeah. And it oh, just yeah. keep and it keeps getting worse the further and, that and you go. And it may back. have just been worse in ways that you didn't know about. Well, the thing is like, so there, there's, a, there's a really good uh book uh by Jill Lepore, who's a, a historian. She wrote, so she recently wrote a book about the history, like early history of the United States. Mm. And uh and unlike the way that I was taught it originally, which is like, look how great these founding fathers were, and like it's all very yeah. uh, you know, patriotic and and clearly bullshit propaganda. Right? propaganda, right? Yeah. Uh, unlike that, she just like gets into it. She's like, why are things the way they are today? Because of the history that you know led to where we're at. And it covers all the way up to today, all the way up to to uh, Trump's election. Um and so it covers the whole gamut. And it's like, how did how did we start? How did we get here? Like what happened in between? And just seeing like how dumb everybody was like, and how yeah. evil so many of them were yeah. and how, and how like, we're not here because we were amazing. We're here in a sheer fucking luck, right? Yeah. The fact least. that we survived all the assholes who were in charge, like over this time. And then the fact that we survived all the horrible laws that are still on the books and, mm-hmm. and all the horrible egos who wanted things to be a really certain way. You know, well, there's, a, there's also that, uh, it is amazing that we are that we <laughs> the exist book, at all. Uh, guns, germs, and steel. Yeah. yeah, yeah. About, it's, it's about like how there's just like a few important factors um, that that sort of shaped everything about the current state of the world, mm-hmm. right? And and one of the things is like you know when when European settlers came to the Americas, uh, mostly a lot of the, mostly the people who were already here died because of disease, yes, right. But it could very easily have just gone the other direction, yeah, hundred percent, right? It didn't, but, but it, it could it have. could have, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then it, literally everything would have been different. Yep. Um. Yeah. And I I, I loved learning about the uh, the Wright brothers. Which was yes. fucking wild because mm-hmm. these were just like a couple of guys who had like they they clearly they had a bicycle underst- shop yeah and, and they what? were just, they were just big believers in essentially rapid prototyping and small batch delivery yeah. right yeah. so like <laughs> so like they brought they had like a mobile shop then they were working on their plane and then they would do a flight and they're like okay we went thirty six feet this time like still not enough mm-hmm. maybe if we tweak the wing like this so like they'd work on that for an hour and then they'd fly it again and they're like shit that went like 48 feet yep. you know like we'll keep that maybe do that a little bit more like so they just they just kept doing this over and over again um, and then they were competing with like uh this guy lang langley, langley right yeah. who was funded by the smithsonian he had fifty thousand dollars of funding which in the early 1900s was 
a fuckload of money. <laughs> yeah. The Wright Brothers plan, I think, cost them total across the entire span of its research, like $700. <laughs> um, and so this dude, like, built this $50,000 weird Huge. plane contraption yeah. that was, like, it could only be launched from a catapult on a barge. <laughs> right? So, like... <laughs> And this was like the top mines, right? And yeah. it just it basically just it was it was like what you would expect if you just hurled a boulder off of a catapult. It just like flew and just fucking smashed into yep. the river. Yep. Um, and so seeing these kind of cool underdog stories of how these these people with very few resources, um, but just like were just brilliant, you know, mm-hmm. and managed to outcompete all these people who should have had all the advantages, you know. Uh, I don't know. I love those kinds of stories. And if those guys – because it would have happened anyway eventually. But if those guys hadn't exist, what would airplanes look like today, right? Mm Because things would have been delayed by just a little bit. But more importantly, different people would have been the ones who actually caused stuff to happen. Well, and and they also accidentally – the Wright brothers accidentally accelerated the evolution of the airplane through their own greed and hubris because they invented a concept called wing warp, which was like the way that they steered their plane was by bending the wings. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Mm. And, you know, modern planes have ailerons. So it's like for these flappy it's, things. It's yeah, tiny right? wing at the bottom of the wing. And uh, World War One was starting short, like right around the time that the Wright brothers invented the air, like got the airplane actually working as a feasible uh, product. And the U.S. government was like, we want these and we want to start making these and whatever. And the patent that the Wright brothers had was for this wing warp thing. Mm. And so the U.S. government was like, well, we don't want to fuck around with that. We'll We'll have to come up with our own way of steering these kinds of things. Mm. And so they had to then come up with the concept of ailerons instead, uh, which is actually a far better way to to steer a right. plane than bending the wings. <laughs> flight. Um, yeah. So like there's all – yeah. You like the, Whenever you look deeply into any like little period of history or, or a subject like something that might seem mundane like the post – the postal service yeah. – mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's always like a trillion things. Well, and, and everything that's like raised up on a pedestal as like, you know, a great, a great person, a great event, a great whatever you dig in there and it's just a person. Right. And if, yep. and the further you go back, the worse people were right. Yep. It's relative to like today because ethics evolve over time. Right. Yep. Um, and so like, there's no, all that, like, you just got to get. The, the, all that nostalgia and all that stuff, like it's, it yeah. is just all horse People can have that's the important thing. People can have done great things and moved great things forward while also being assholes. It's sort of yeah. like, <laughs> the weird is, reality yeah, of the situation. Right? It's the same idea as like you can enjoy something and criticize it at the same time, yes. right? Like those are those are all true. Be comfortable with uh, it's just to me the important thing of the looking back at history is just to remember that it was it was messy and bad, right? Just like all of it, just like now, just like now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think there's a there's a real danger if you start to fall into that trap of being like, oh, I just like I love everything about like the World War II era because like yep. all these things were so spectacular and whatever. Nothing like, about that era was good. No, it was horrible. <laughs> it was a, it was a it was fucking a bad nightmare. time. Yeah. yeah. So you know, it's interesting to look back on and try to try to glean lessons from. Yeah. That's that's the important part, but yeah, maybe ease, ease up on the nostalgia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. unless um, it's for these uh, video games that you played in your youth, you know, yeah. well, which are now games. going back when we go and play them again. They're bad. Like, wait, this is terrible. Yeah, and I don't even. Where do you even get a boombox now? How am no. I going to listen to Jock Jams? <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> uh, all right, that's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together, and thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. Uh, also, we'd like to thank them because we had a weird flood of spam bots this week and, you know, it things, took care are, of it. things yeah. are out of control. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, go to podcast.bscotch.net. We've got links to the community Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the podcast archives. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.